If you would please open to Romans chapter 15. That's 1 Corinthians, I just went to. We are picking back up uh, with our series, just studying the virtues within the Christian life that we are to be going towards, seeking out, praying to, to have evidenced in our lives. But ultimately, we want to mature. Remember that God has, he has placed the life of Christ inside of us. So everything that we long for and desire in the Christian life, the Apostle Peter says we have been given it. We have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. So all those fruits of the Spirit that we think we struggle with so much, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Boy, it feels like a weight, right? I don't have those. No, you do. They are in you. When we have the Spirit himself deposited in us through salvation, our repentance and trust in Christ's work apart from anything that we can do to achieve salvation for ourselves, Jesus did it all. And that wonderful transaction of all of our sin goes on him and all of his righteousness goes on us. And the Spirit inside of us has those fruits. So what we are to do is mature into Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We had to mature into those things. But we have other aspects uh, that I didn't memorize years ago that, uh, that are in the Christian life that we want to walk through. So we've considered, um, I forgot to put these. I wanted to do a little recap, you know, because it's been a couple weeks since we did this. We've talked about other things, gratitude and generosity, humility. Anybody remember anything? I forget. Today we're doing encouragement, so we're going to be encouraged today, amen? We're going to be encouraged because we need that. I appreciate um, Chris's leadership and sensitivity to the Spirit again. I think that those, song, those songs uh, are an encouragement to us uh, in ways that, I mean, I, I get to hear, I know it's in my notes, and so I'm hearing lines that we're singing, well, that's cool, oh, that's cool, because we're going to cover that. So we have been encouraged already uh, to pursue the Lord in His Word. So if you would look at Romans 15, verses 4 and 5, help us set up our topic of encouragement. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Look at verse 5. The God of endurance, the God of encouragement. You ever think about that as an attribute of God? God is an encouraging God. And he wants us to be encouraged in our walk with Christ, in our maturity in Christ. So the thing, look in verse 4, he is here that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We want to have hope. We want to endure. We want to be encouraged in our Christian life. And Paul comes right behind that and says, and God's going to do that because that's who he is. God provides the strength to endure as we seek our all in him. God is encouraging toward us. So, Lord, help us feel and sense the wonder 
of your encouragement over our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is hard, isn't it? Just hard. It's hard due to the brokenness of sin. Things don't work perfectly. And we, oh, wouldn't it be great if cars worked perfectly? My son-in-law wouldn't have a job, but it would be great for cars to work perfectly. I'm thankful for my son-in-law who thinks perfectly about cars. It's amazing. And people don't work perfectly. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Would it, wouldn't our lives be just a whole lot better if people in our lives worked perfectly? Children obeying perfectly? Wow. We'd have a lot more of them, wouldn't we? <laughs> life's hard and things don't there's just brokenness there's imperfection but life is also hard due to spiritual opposition that we face in our lives because we want to live for God and we love God and we have an enemy whose name is accuser that's what Satan means who actively works against our desire to live for Jesus. When we, we're just ready. God, I'm ready. Just I want to put sin aside. I want to put laziness aside. I, I just want you. We have an accuser that rises up in that moment with all of his minions and just pointing fingers at us. You'll never. You tried this before. Look what happened. Life often feels like we walk around with battle scars because it's just hard. Battles we face make us weary. And then all of a sudden we feel like we're battling weariness. And then we, to overcome things, overcome weariness in order to get back in the, and just, we just, we have a hard time continuing with that steadfast love and hope that God promises. He needs something for his truck. <laughs> when we battle the effects of sin in, our, in ourselves and the effects of sin, being sinned against by other people, we then bump into ineffectiveness. Are my prayers ineffective? Is my fruitfulness ineffective? Like things aren't changed. I'm not changing. So we walk around feeling weary and we walk around feeling ineffective. So we need encouragement. We sometimes, I think, fall short in what we really need to be encouraged in because uh, our attempts at encouragement will oftentimes leave us pointed more toward our own effort and our own determination and our own just pick myself up and get going with it. And I, I'd like to pick on coffee mug quotes this morning <laughs> because coffee mug quotes don't help us in the battle. When, when life is hard, you don't need to hear, or, and right when you go for that sip, now coffee is a wonderful encouragement. And Kerr reminds us of that <laughs> weekly. But when you pick up that mug, you don't need to see. You are enough. I'm enough? No. I feel inadequate in every category. How am I enough? How about every day is a fresh start? Now, tell that to yesterday. That seems to spill over into today. And, and, and I'm afraid it's going to spill over in tomorrow. Be strong. Be brave. Be fearless. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Choose happy. Yeah, that, that probably needs to happen more often, but does that really, really help me in the battle? How about be your best self? Well, you know what? The attempts to be my best self and got me into the mess I'm in. So maybe I need something outside of myself to help me out. 
You got this. No, I don't. I don't have this. Stronger than the storm. (laughs) What kind of encouragement is that? Now, look, if you own a mug that has any of these things, I am not trying to shame you into breaking it or something. I'm just saying these are inadequate. Because even if you have a mug that says, be still and know, if you don't know what the end of that verse is, then we're left pointing more toward our own effort and our own, hey, just get going, why don't you? And that's the, that, that doesn't help us. So we, we, we have, there's truths and elements of truth in these encouragements, but they fall short because they point us more into ourselves. We're only, we, we bump into our own weariness and our ineffectiveness. And we don't find strength and faith and hope to continue and to endure. The encouragement needs to come from something outside of us, outside of ourselves, that's stronger than we are. We don't need to try to find, we don't have the strength. We need strength to come from outside of us. And we need courage from outside to keep us in the battle so we emerge in the promise of being more than conquerors that we see in Romans chapter 8. So let's consider what biblical encouragement is. Uh, No, no, you look, encourage, it's got the word courage in it, right? We need encouragement because we lack courage in in, uh, situations that are beyond our capabilities. We need courage in the moment that we come face to face with, we, we don't have the faculties to help in this category, to overcome, or to even think properly or effectively or peacefully in this category. So look, three things to consider from biblical encouragement. They come from different aspects of Scripture. One is in Joshua chapter 1. We, we need courage that's grounded in God's strength. Remember the, the story uh, of what we read in Joshua chapter 1? Moses has died. God is calling Joshua. Even God told Moses to tell Joshua, uh, be courageous. And Joshua had a courage problem. He lacked it. He had doubts. And so in Joshua chapter 1, God is saying, all right, here's what you, Moses is dead. Time to stand up. I've anointed you to be the leader. And you're going to go get all of the swath of land in the promised land. Now remember, the, what, they, what they occupied in the Old Testament was a little more than half of the totality of what God said they were going to get. So they didn't even realize the full promise that God had. That's a big deal. Joshua, looking at that, that is beyond my capabilities. God, I cannot lead people into this, into this fight. I, I don't know how to. I'm inadequate. Uh, I'm ineffective. Maybe he was pointing out the same things that Moses did. Remember, Moses did that too. I can't talk right. I'm, I'm fearful. I can go back to people that I ran from. I'm, I'm, there's too much shame. Joshua needed courage in this moment, but where does God tell him to get the courage from? In the law of the Lord. Meditate on the law of the Lord. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Go straight ahead to the law of the Lord. What was God saying? Come to me. Come to me to find your strength. Focus on me and you'll find that I'm with you for the battle. Not just with you. I am conquering for you. So we need a, a courage that is grounded in God's strength, which is found in his word. And we know that feeling when we read the scriptures and when we, we see more of God in the scriptures than, than maybe what we feel. Most of the time we go read the Bible, we walk away more concerned about what we have to do rather than understanding all that God has done through Christ 
to capture us. So but when we learn to read the Scriptures and see God as glorious and great and strong, it is an encouragement to us. We find faith rising in us. We, we have a courage that rises. There's also a biblical encouragement comes from a courage that's dependent on God's sovereignty. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, Joab, who was the leader of the army for King David, uh, they, they hear that these two armies are rising up to attack Jerusalem, and David tells Joab, go out and fight. And Joab bring, he brings his brother Abishai, and they go out, and he says, all right, we're going to separate. Uh, and then with, within short time, they realize that they are boxed in by these enemies, and they are outnumbered by the enemies. So again, beyond capacity to help with. And Joab does something very faith-filled. He says to his brother, I'm going to go this way. If, I, if they're too strong for me, you need to whip whoever you're fighting and come help me. But if they're too strong for you, I'm going to whip whoever I'm fighting and I'm going to come help you. But this is what he says. But let's be courageous for our people. Let's fight for the cities of God. And may God do what seems best to him. There's courage in that. The courage came from God's in control. And God's going to... So sometimes that means that when there is a defeat and we feel that defeat, we can have courage because God's still in control. When life just simply does not go according to anything that we had planned, we can be of courage. We can be encouraged because God is still in control. And though we might look out and not see exactly what God is doing uh, in his sovereign work and his providence over our lives, bringing Jesus' preeminence, his exaltation out of our lives, we may not be able to connect all the dots until heaven itself, but we can trust today. God, I trust your sovereignty. And you will, will, you will do what seems best to you. That means even in the midst of the broken relationships and broken world that we live in. And then we, have, we see in Mark chapter 15, there is a courage that comes when we stand with Christ. And it's a courage to stand with Christ. And we see that with Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a member of the council along with Nicodemus. They were secret disciples. They really did trust Christ. But for fear of losing their position, they didn't come, they didn't out themselves as believers until this moment. There came a point in Joseph's life where he said, he, the Bible says he took courage and went and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He outed himself. I'm a disciple. And we know there are situations, especially in the workplace, when, uh, and, and it happens in families too. When we begin talking about things and we know we can bring up a relationship with Christ as a help to somebody who is hurting and as, as an understanding, like you, you think this is your problem, but really there's a bigger issue. God is against us if we're outside of Christ. He's against us. And we need to repent of our sins and trust him and come back, be reconciled and be in union with him to understand his love. There are moments, especially in the workplace, that we know if I can just share this, it would make a difference, but we're muzzled by corporate laws, by just the, the culture, expect, the cultural expectation that says keep your religion to yourself. You can, you can worship God fine in the house, but don't bring it outside your house. 
There are moments where God will call us to take courage and stand with Christ and stand for Christ. And we want to do that in a a loving way, not in a, a boastful or irritating way. We know those Christians that just, they don't care about people. They care more about what's coming out of their mouths. And so they just want to say something and not recognize the person. That's, we want to do both. There's a truth and a boldness to stand for truth, but we want to see the people that are in front of us because God sees them too. And he's, we don't know what he's doing in drawing them to himself and seeing that humility in us. But Joseph took courage, and he asked for the body of Jesus, and he brought Jesus to his own tomb. He was a wealthy man, and he paid for his own tomb. So he brought Jesus to his own tomb. So Jesus died in Joseph's place. But then church history tells us that Joseph then went to the far reaches of the Roman Empire, which was England at that time, and Ireland. And there are, there are shrines today in Great Britain, dedicated to Joseph of Arimathea because he didn't look back at his grave anymore. He didn't need that anymore. He had a life of Christ to tell people about. Isn't that cool? I don't know if that's true, but I hope it is. It's inspiring. It's encouraging, isn't it? I think it's true. I've I've researched. I say that because I've researched several times, and they have these shrines. But you go all over Europe, and it's like, this is a piece of wood from the boat that Jesus taught from, really? But I, I found enough of Joseph Arimathea. It was like, I, I, either way, he didn't get buried in his grave anymore that Jesus got buried in. He went and, and, and lived for Christ. Now, to encourage is to deposit courage. It's to circle in with courage. So we are able to stand in that courage. And our courage comes from exalting Jesus in everything. So to encourage means to exalt Christ so others can see Jesus and others can serve Jesus. Encouragement comes from exalting Christ, not not digging deeper into ourselves to try to figure out how we need to do better. We need to see Jesus. And when we are encouraged in Christ, we will stand in courage with other believers, and the promise is that harmony is there. So there, there's a looking to Christ that results in harmony. Remember, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, standing in courage. We think of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are telling Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to, we hear the music, we don't have hearing issue, we, we have a worship issue, we're not going to worship you. We're going to worship God. And they took courage. There was a harmony that they had with one another. And they stood in defiance and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And who was there? Jesus was there. Pre-incarnate Jesus is with them. Now, how do we encourage? I think the first thing we consider is that we just replicate what God does. God is an encouraging God. So we need to figure out, how does God encourage? He sends the Spirit to remind of the teachings of Christ, to remind of the presence of Christ, and he comforts the saints. That's in the Great Commission. Teaching them to obey all that I've uh, I've taught you and teaching them to observe all that I've taught you. And I'm with you. And so if I'm with you, then you're with one another and that presence is achieved. So we replicate what God does. He is an encouraging God. Now, we have to listen to his encouragement. I think sometimes we can get 
um, a little stubborn in putting our difficulties before God, putting even our own sin before God. And, and God is encouraging us, but we're saying, but God, no, but God, no, I've got this issue and I've got this issue. And when we do that, we, God doesn't stop encouraging us. We don't hear it clearly anymore because we're talking too much. We've got to be able to learn to just sit. I appreciate Sean's prayer to sit with him and listen and feel his presence. We also, in, in encouraging one another, we just see Jesus in and around stuff. We see him in and around the circumstances. So we see what God is doing in and around circumstances in particular and peculiar ways that reserve glory for Christ's exaltation. And this is what we're just reminding one another of. Hey, God's at work in you. God's at work in you. I see Jesus. In your response, I see Jesus. In, in this situation, I see Jesus. Now, please. Please don't tell anybody that God won't give you anything you can't handle. Because that's false, isn't it? God gives us stuff and we recognize we can't handle it. It's too much for us. And I understand where that comes from. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God will not get, or 13, God will not, is that right? Somewhere, no, 2 Corinthians, sorry. Uh, God uh, will not have you tempted beyond what you are able, but he always provides a way of escape. That's with temptation. So just struggle in life, different context. God, yes, gives us more than we can handle because he's still proving to us that we rely on ourselves way too much and not him. We need to trust him. We need to be encouraged by him. So we see God and, and we do it in particular ways. I see God this way. I see God uh, alive in you in this way. Your response and, and your trust, uh, those, we, we look for the particular ways that Jesus is being exalted. And when we do that, we recognize God's, God's in control and he's working his will and he's working Jesus out of us. He's maturing us into the image of his son. And we also recognize how Jesus is shining through. You know. There's a big, huge encouragement that comes. Remember, maybe when you were in grade school or high school and you were struggling in a class, but you, the, the light came on, so to speak, and your teacher recognized it and said, you're doing well. Boy, wow. I can, I can feel some. I can feel courage rise. Oh, yeah. We need to be able to do that with one another in, in just our spiritual walks. But that requires that we know one another well enough to be able to recognize and see where Jesus is shining through. But there's also an element of pointing toward eternal hope. We, we encourage one another as we look toward heaven together. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 tell us, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, every day that the sun rises is another day that we're nearer to Jesus. We're nearer to the glory that he is. So we embrace the role of fellowship in, to, to provide the context to remind each other, oh, heaven awaits, heaven awaits us. It's not, this is not the end of the story. 
you know, a, a big a big phrase these days is people in trying to be their best selves want to be more present. Just want to be more present. It's, I kind of get confused by that because it used to be called stop daydreaming or stop being lazy. <laughs> now it's I want to be present. We kind of put these positive spins on things. It's like just care about people around you. That's what being present means. Don't care about yourself so much. Care about others. Care about what they're going through. Care about them enough to ask questions and not, not condemn, not judge, but to comfort, to comfort them. So be present, but that shows itself in care. We also want to inspire obedience. So how to encourage? We inspire obedience. We rehearse the promises of God for ourselves, and we pass those on to those that we're walking with. We, we pass on the promises from the Word of God, because when we have His promises, we're encouraged to obey. When it's all up to us, I don't want to do this anymore. I keep tripping and falling. It's nothing. It's, I'm in my way all the time. No, but when we rehearse the promises of God, and we're passing those on and sowing those into one another, we're, we'll be encouraged to obey. Now, the third aspect is to look at the man named Barnabas. And, and to, to encourage is to be a Barnabas. Think about this in Acts 4. Thus, Joseph, do you know Barnabas' real name is Joseph? We forget that, right? Because his identity took on encouragement. He was Barnabas. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus. Son of encouragement. He was such, an encouragement was so much uh, the normal flow of his life that it became his, his, his ID. It became his license. And whenever he pulled it out, when they were looking for an age, they saw encouragement, just who he was. His lifestyle of, his, of encouragement really became the means by, by which people identified him. So where when, uh, when Luke is writing the book of Acts, he's calling Bar- it's Barnabas and Saul, and then Barnabas and Paul, and Paul and Barnabas. He's always Barnabas. Joseph was just once. But we see in the life of Barnabas an investment. Barnabas invested in people. He invested in the people that some were afraid of, Paul. He's the one that went and found Paul, Saul first brought him with him to Antioch. He invested in those who were younger, his cousin, John Mark, who when one day wrote the gospel account of Mark. This is a man who went after people that, remember when the road to Damascus, Paul is knocked down by the light, and it says, go to Damascus, and in Damascus, God had already told Agabus, the prophet, hey, Saul is coming to you. <laughs> Agabus' response was, um, God, you sure about this? I've heard about this guy. He's dangerous. <laughs> God's sovereignty comes to Agabus. I, I got this. Just trust me. And when he got there, what did he say? Brother Saul. That wasn't just a Hebrew thing. That was, he knew he was a believer. And he called him a brother in Christ. But Barnabas 
Everybody else, when Paul's in Jerusalem, everybody's stirring things up. He's, they don't know what to do with him. They, the, the apostles and the Christians think that he's this secret double agent. Like, whoa, 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 you're pretending to be with us, but you've, just been, you've been persecuting us, now you're with us. We don't know what to do with you. He, he leaves and goes back to Tarsus, where he was from. 14 years. That's a long time. Who went and found him? Barnabas went and found him. Because God had some work to do. But first we see that he gave a monetary investment. He invested financially in the kingdom, Acts 4, 30, 37. And this was an encouragement. For, this was an example to the people in, who were all, they had, they had, everything was in common and they gave it. So look, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He set an example of obedience and encouragement and right after this is, Acts chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira, they were like, ooh, they must have seen something, some popularity or, or praise that Barnabas got. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were a little jealous. They were envious. They wanted some of that, but they conspired to sell the field but keep some of the proceeds. But they sold, oh, we, fold, we sold it for this much, but they only gave this. They had to be carried out of church because they were dead. But Barnabas sets the example. So there's a, a money investment. There's also huge relational investment. And this took great risk because he brought, he, he wanted to include people that others wanted to avoid. Paul and John Mark, here's how that happened. Remember, he goes, he brings Saul to the leaders in Jerusalem. They hear about what's happening. Saul's the one, or Barnabas is the one that goes to get Saul and say, come here. Come, come with us. He welcomes Saul in. Tell us, and that's when Saul tells him about the Damascus Road experience. And then he goes to look for Saul to bring him to Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Then he takes John Mark. He's a relative, a cousin. He's along for ministry. So he's saying, come with us. He does it first to Saul, then does it to John Mark. And then he lets Paul take the lead. That can be overlooked. He was the mentor. He was the one in charge. He was the older one, perhaps. But in Acts chapter 13, it's not Barnabas and Paul anymore. It's Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas didn't, he wasn't looking for prominence. He wasn't looking for a role. It's probably what he expected would happen. I want to raise you up. I want to walk with you. I want the encouragement that you feel to then take my place. And then, remember in, in Acts chapter 15, there's a split with Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark. And there was a sharp disagreement. John Mark went with them. Something happened where John Mark leaves them and goes back home. Paul and Barnabas continue on. And, and whatever happened caused Paul to say, I will not bring him along because he, something happened so severely that affected Paul's trust of him. I'm not sure. Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark again. Paul says, nope, not doing that. Such a sharp disagreement that they said, all right, we're just going to go separate ways. Paul takes Silas, goes on other missionary journeys, and that's what we follow in the book of Acts. But Barnabas still takes John Mark, and he goes and visits the churches that he went. But you know what we see here is that later on, Paul said that John Mark was useful to him. 
in Second uh, Timothy 4.11. And bring, bring John Mark with you. He's useful for me for ministry. You know what? Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul didn't even see at that moment. The power of encouragement and let's walk together, let's walk with him. See, Barnabas didn't see disqualifying features above, above the work of Christ in John Mark's life. See, a lot of times we can write off people. Especially if they've wronged us, we can write them off. But Barnabas, we can learn from Barnabas. He didn't see disqualifying features or sinful things. He didn't see them above Christ's work. He, he saw what Jesus was doing in somebody's life, and he came alongside of it. So in conclusion, we want to seek out. We want to bring up. We want to bear with, just like Barnabas did. Be a Barnabas. That happens in your home. It happens in your extended family. It happens in the church. We have, we should have a lot of Barnabases. We have them. But we, as, we, as we continue to walk together, and we, we don't just look to somebody, man, that person is so encouraging. That's awesome. And there's a role that all of us play. Because Paul's writing to everybody in the church in Romans 15. Everybody. Through the endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Look, that together, this is verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. So what is the biggest encouragement we can offer that, that we can look at in the scriptures? If you look earlier in Romans, Romans chapter 8 is a very helpful encouragement to be reminded of God's sovereignty. It's in the word. We're reminded of God's sovereignty, and we want to stand with Christ, even though life around us is just hard. I'm trying to find my spot. I apologize. Is it Luke talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Oh, I'm sorry. It's meant to start at verse 28. <laughs> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, sometimes when life is hard, that can feel like it's just on a coffee mug and it's not in us. But the answer to that is not to just ignore it, it's to seek it out. Lord, what do you mean with this? Uh, Sean's prayer made me think of an old worship song from, oh, 20 or 25 years ago by Mercy Me. Uh, if I could just sit with you a while. So listen to these lyrics. I just went and found them and put them in my notes. When I cannot feel, when my wounds don't heal, Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you. Lord, you are my life, so don't mind to die, just as long as I am hidden in you. Because I could just sit with you a while. You could just hold me. Nothing can touch me. Though I'm wounded, though I've died, 
If I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me moment by moment till forever passes by. When I cannot feel and my wounds won't heal, Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you. Lord, you are my life, so I don't mind to die just as long as I am hidden in you. If I could just sit with you a while, if you could just hold me, nothing can touch me. Though I'm wounded, though I've died, if I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me moment by moment till forever passes by. Do you know? This is just a, that's not a hopeful request. It's what God does. It's what he does. And so our response today is, Lord, I want to learn to sit with you. I want you to hold me. I want to know what that feels like. Even if it's simply the Lord just saying, I've got you. So that way it's not, you got this. It's no, God, God saying to us, I've got you. I've got you. So no matter what storm comes by, he is the strength that we live by, that we stand by in that storm. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence that is always with us. That oftentimes we don't feel, but Lord, we, we really do need to believe that you really, really, really are with us. And your promise is true that, that no matter what is going on around us, you are with us and you are working your plan. So, Lord, we ask that we would have courage as we see Jesus exalted. We would have courage that is grounded in your word. It's strong because it's you. And we would recognize your sovereignty. And we would stand with Christ. May we be encouraged by your love, by your greatness, by your grace. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's be reminded of Jesus' commission to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. May God bless us.